The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Outside of the world, the
Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, for the first time, Bernie Madoff has gone on the record to explain why and how he orchestrated the biggest Ponzi scheme in history in a book called Madoff Talks by nationally syndicated radio show uh, host uh, of uh, Business Talk with Jim Campbell. And uh, Jim joins me by phone. Hey, Jim, welcome to the show. Tom, it's my honor to be here, and I understand I'm talking to Flint, Michigan, uh, where your base is, and I grew up in the Midwest in Chicago area, so it's a great honor. Oh, I've spent a lot of time in Chicago, but we'll talk about that another time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jim, I I mentioned Bernie Madoff has gone on record as to the why and how. Which are we more curious about with this uh, Ponzi scheme? story the how or the why don't we all kind of assume the why is for the money um that's a good point because it wasn't for the money um uh, surprisingly i think people are interested um and i wrote the book for three reasons one is all that how why because a ponzi scheme should be a very brief have a very brief life typically because the guy's got to run out of town when people figure out he's run out of money and this guy ran this thing for 40 years, and uh, so there's fascination in that. Um, the second piece is, uh, it, it, this is sort of the untold story, is the complete systemic failure behind it. I'm talking about his bank, Wall Street, the SEC, SIPC. Uh, all of those components failed almost in an amazing way. And the third one is people are interested, what did Ruth, Andrew, and Mark Madoff know? And I, uh, in Chapter 8, I attempt to lay out for the first time a media source uh, making a, a declaration on what that answer is. How was it that, that uh, and this this is kind of a silly question, I mean this with all due respect, but why did Bernie Madoff decide to share all this with you, Jim? Um, that's a good question, too. And um, the first part, part of this is it's actually a lot of it is pure fortuitous luck. I was doing on my radio show an interview on a uh, book author with Lori Sandell who, was, who wrote a book that the uh, Madoff family cooperated with. And she said, as part of my prep, which blew me away, um, I can put you in touch with Andrew Madoff off the record. He can't talk, obviously, because of all the legal action. We hit it off. I told him where I, where I was in my thinking. He said, well, your show's live. I'm going to see if you say the same thing on the air. Okay, so then look, number two, his, his uh, mother, Ruth Madoff, happened to be moving from Florida to my hometown now here in Old Greenwich. I said, I'll take her to lunch. Took her to lunch. We had a great lunch. She was very open, uh, seemed to trust me uh, until we walked out, and, she, and I asked her if I could take a picture with us, and she said, you're wired, aren't you? So I had to convince <laughs> her I was not wired. But then the next step, she put me in touch with Bernie Madoff and 400 pages letter, uh, 400 pages of communications ranging from handwritten, exquisite penmanship, eight-page letters to uh, emails. Uh, the, the rest is history. And, and speaking of that history, um, this is a significant moment in uh, economic history. He, Bernie Madoff is the reason a lot of people even know what a Ponzi scheme is. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And, um, you know, uh, Bernie Bernie just 
the the mind of Bernie Madoff is unfathomable. Um, <laughs> the fact that he was able to, and I don't know, this is part of the untold story. A lot of people don't realize he ran a leading edge market making firm, which meant he executed trades for discount brokers, for instance. And it was ranked number three on Wall Street in, mar- in volume market share from nowhere. It was worth $3 billion in and of itself, completely clean and above the normal ethics on the street. Same time, over the same period of time, two floors down on the 17th floor behind lock and key that his own sons didn't have access to. They worked upstairs on the 19th floor. He's running the biggest criminal enterpri- uh, enterprise in Wall Street, side by side, trying to figure that one out. Well, yeah, that's that's the the really big question is this wasn't somebody who was just uh, a grifter yeah. or an itinerant con man. He had yeah. success. What was the need to run this this scheme? And that gets back to the question of well, it must have been greed. He wanted more money, yeah. um, etc. You know, and he told me the story uh, from prison. Um, that he hadn't told anybody else, which is one that you would think might be true because it has some logic to it, which is, hey, I'm running this great, clean business. I got into trouble on a bad trade, lost a lot of money, made the classic gambler's mistake. I'll double down. I'll get out of it. No one will ever know about it. Give the money back, and boom, we're all set. At least there's logic to that. It's criminal. Uh, it's not very moral. And then you go, and I did all my vetting and went through all the legal uh, findings, et cetera, and lo and behold, he's running them at the same time uh, through the whole period. Now, why would one happen and why would he keep it going? I think his mind on the market making, it fit his psychology and his psyche really well, which is no matter what the market's doing, he's making money on commissions. So he runs it well, he automates it well, he gets low cost, and uh, he just coins money. On the other, he, well, he says, I starts off with a small group of family and friends, 20 people, and suddenly goes, uh-oh, I can actually lose money on trades here. He could not psychically stomach losses. So what did he do? He guaranteed, uh, he guaranteed growth. He guaranteed uh, wins. He guaranteed you'll make money. And the guy, and it mushroomed on him. He got so successful at it. His, his thing was control, his ego, his inability to not be the go-to guy, the king of Wall Street to accept trading losses, which go part and parcel with the game. he could, That was what drove him. Untold, he had what he called his big four investors, who were uh, four really wealthy guys who helped bail him out when he got in trouble. The wealthy of which made $7 billion out of, out of Bernie's Ponzi hedge fund. Bernie stole $800 million to put in the back door of that legitimate business upstairs when it got in trouble. But this guy took seven or eight, nine times more than Bernie made. Now, there's no Ponzi scheme ever where the wizard behind the Ponzi scheme makes less money than people in it. And But but it's like musical chairs. At some point, there's somebody just standing there holding the bag. Yes. Um, first off, in terms of holding the bag, he had a lot of uh, investors who were not high net worth, who'd invested some money over 40 years, built it up. They, and, 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 and he guaranteed them results, too. But he might guarantee them 11 15%, you know, several years ago or 20 30 years ago. He was given the big four and his top investors 20 30%. So what does that mean? That's a reverse Robin Hood. He's taking money from his lower net worth investors and gave it 
to his wealthier investors. Now, your point was right. In a Ponzi scheme, the trouble is you've got to have more money coming in the front door than it's leaving the back door when people are leaving because there's no investment activity going on. It's, it's new people's money being used to pay off the people that are there, investment, which means the minute you run out of people coming in the front door, you're in deep trouble. The thing is, no, he never ran out of money until the in economic crisis of 2008. Lehman Brothers went down, then Bear Stearns, the market crashed. It looked like a potential global catastrophe. Seven billion people, uh, seven billion dollars was taken out of his fund by people panicking, and that's what brought an end to it. If it hadn't been for the the bursting yep. of of that bubble in 2008, would he still that's be the, kicking the can down the road? He, very likely still be in business because the SEC couldn't find it in five separate investigations. And I, in my book, I calculate at the end, um, he, uh, based on what he was doing then on guaranteed returns, he'd be at $240 billion today. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's almost impossible to believe. And I, I think people still scratch their heads and, and wonder, uh, you know, where did this guy come from and, and how... Did he get away with this so long? How come the SEC couldn't find anything? Yeah, see, that's a good point. Now, you know, this is, first off, he's, remember, he's got this, this great business. He has tremendous credibility with the regulators because his, his ethics in that business are above that, are above the norm in the industry. And he brilliantly exploited the SEC's silos and incompetence. What do I mean by silos? When they send examiners in to a brokerage firm, these are guys that are experts in um, broker-dealer um, examination, meaning they trace the trades, they make sure they exist, they look at that side of the business. Surprisingly, if you look at a firm like Merrill Lynch, they've got an investment asset advisory side, which can be hedge funds or mutual funds. The same examiners don't work on both sides of that business. Bernie covered up, he was in the investment advisory business, he never registered with the SEC, which you have to above a certain size. Never in his entire tenure did the investment advisory guys look at his business, look at the Ponzi from It's very easy to detect a Ponzi scheme. What's the investment activity? Where is it going on? Where, who are you trading with? Where are the assets? Where's the money? Those things are five-minute kinds of determinations and they didn't know to do that. So, the, And then there's so much incompetence, they kept investigating him for what they had cleared him of, which is front-running. Front-running means you jump right and you know that you're going to buy IBM stock, Tom, which will drive the market up whatever degree. And so you, the, you, the market maker who are clearing his trade, you jump right in front of him and buy IBM because you know it's going to go up behind you. They thought that that's what he was doing and making little tiny ticks of money because he knew what his customers were going to do. So they kept trying to find it, and it's about the only thing that Bernie never violated. His <laughs> More about Bernie Madoff with the author of Madoff Talks, radio host Jim Campbell, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. 
All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? Mm. It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi. .gov slash AG complaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about Bernie Madoff with the author of Madoff Talks, radio host Jim Campbell, straight ahead. This is such a, uh, such a fascinating story, but why tell it now? Oh, you know, why now? 
first of all, um, nobody had written a book with the overall what I call architecture, which is how did the SEC fail? How did SIPC fail? How did his bank, J.P. Morgan, fail? How did his feeder funds who were sending the money not know what was going on? And they were putting all their investors' money into this. So this is the first time that was being done, okay? Uh, the second was, obviously, to go inside Bernie's mind. Why did he do it? How did he do it? When did he get away with it? Because most people still don't know uh, that level of details. And, of course, that third reason was nobody knew. Everybody assumed, everybody, including the FBI, who I, who I spent time with, thought that the um, family must have known. Now, why did, it, why did it explode so much when the book came out? I was on CBS Sunday Morning, which has 6 million viewers, two-page spread in the New York Post, um, because Bernie happened to die two weeks before we went public, and it was completely uh, coincidental. We didn't move up the date or anything. And so all of a sudden, Bernie's name is right back out there. And, um, and, that, and so the why now, uh, for those three reasons, but the, the timing ended up being, uh, you know, amazing. I was, I was being interviewed, right, and the people would write an article, and it was showing up all over Europe. Um, people were, you know, other, and so, and by the way, with one particular headline amongst all the tabloids, in the book, I have a picture of American Express card showing how the family used the firm as a piggy bank. Ruth Madoff was charging fifty, fifty-seven thousand dollars $57,000 a month on the corporate Amex card. That doesn't mean she knew about the Ponzi fund, but it's clearly uh, looking like a piggy bank. Well, that number was suddenly in the headlines all over Europe. And, you know, people blowing it out and saying that it must be she knew and that kind of a uh, kind of a thing. So uh, I don't believe there's a book out that covers this. Luckily, or honored, the Fortune magazine review said this will be the authoritative count on this biggest fraud in Wall Street history, certainly in the Ponzi area. So um, hopefully it, it'll do the mission that I'm that I'm doing. And, and I'm lucky folks like you have any interest in talking to me. <laughs> Well, I, this is our first uh, our first go around, Jim. But I hope it's the first of many. Um, the The book also promises, for the first time, uh, to reveal what Ruth Madoff, Andrew, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and Madoff's lawyer, Iris Sorkin, what they knew and whether or not they were complicit. And that was a big question when this all first came up. Mm-hmm. And, and go ahead. What did I mean? Were they complicit? Did they know, or was this just all going on, and they may have benefited without knowing? Yes, um, it's in chapter eight, and I go through deep investigations on Ruth and Andrew. Mark committed suicide before I got involved, and um, so. It, people will see how touch and go it was because there's certainly stuff that looked very bad. And, um, and of course, I just told you, they did plunder the firm as a, as a piggy bank, even though it's a private, you know, it's a private business and a lot of, and we all know private business, people put their cars on it and stuff. But the decree to which they were taking money out is, was, you know, sort of beyond obscene. And of course, it ended up not even, it ended up being other people's money. Chapter eight takes you all through that. The basic, the basic thing is, if you look at Bernie, so the assumption is, how could they not have known? His two sons were upstairs running the market-making business in what I call the front of the restaurant in mafia terms, which is the front of the restaurant looks nice and clean, and it's designed to cover up, in this case, what's going on in the basement two floors down, uh, where a lot of dirty business is going on. And the fact is, 
that I found Mark and Ruth to have high character, high integrity, and to not really not be not be complicit uh, in knowing about the Ponzi scheme as hard as that is to believe. And I can go through all kinds of uh, different reasons. In fact, I asked Ruth when uh, Bernie confessed only the day before he turned himself in to the family, and the first off, the boys immediately left the uh, co-op in the uh, uh, Upper East Side and turned him in. They didn't hide their money or delay or try to cover up or anything. They turned him right in. And I asked Ruth, what did you say? What happened? She said she told me. Uh, she first thing she says was, what is a Ponzi scheme? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people were saying that for the weeks following uh, Madoff's arrest. And I'll tell you, Tom, the FBI still believes they had to know. Uh, I know stuff the FBI didn't know because I was inside the family, and the FBI did a great job once they got on top of it. They traced every dollar. The, the J.P. Morgan account, just to give you numbers, $170 billion went through his J.P. Morgan account during this Ponzi scheme. And by the way, J.P. Morgan never noticed it. And that is an unbelievable amount of money. Of course, what people's final statement said was they had $65 billion. I can't put $10,000 through a bank without filling out a form. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and now, you know, let me tell you, Tom, how, how easy this thing was to solve. I'll give you three examples. I'll start with the bank in the reverse. I told you that um, it's easy to detect a Ponzi scheme. But Bernie told them that this was an operating expense account for his investment advisory business. In other words, just paying rent and stuff. Meanwhile, somehow the bank always believed it was his market-making account which had been at Bank of New York for 40 years, was where the legit... They didn't even know what the account was doing, okay? Secondly, with J.P. Morgan, you run a business for 40 years that is basically an equity strategy, stocks and options. Well, then it's very easy to look into his account and say, where are the, where's his trade party, counterparties? Well, who's he paying when he does his trades? Where's dividends? $4 billion of dividends should have gone through that account, right, because he's doing an, a stock trading trade. Not $1 of dividends ever went through the account. Not one payment to a counterparty ever went through an account. Let me give you another example. Every trade on Wall Street goes through a clearing and settlement uh, agency called the Depository Trust Company, the DTC. A five-minute phone call to the DTC would, would uncover that, A, that you, do, you, have, you do have an account there, and then you can trace its trades, right? Bernie gave the SEC his DTC account number, which I'll tell you was, was 0646. And he told me, he says, Jim, this was Friday. I expected them in my apartment on Sunday to arrest me. The uh, five-minute phone call. The SEC never made the phone call. So there you go. Five minutes to detect a 40-year scheme. The final example I'll give you is if I tell you, if I tell you I'm going to invest your money, Tom, in a in essentially the equivalent of an index, uh, stock index function. That means it's going to mirror the stock market or technically correlate directly to the stock market. It should have correlated or mirrored the stock market performance about 95 percent. Now you and I know the stock market cannot go up every single day forever. Okay, and Bernie's Bernie went up every single month. So. The first, all you have to do is say, well, what is the correlation? How much does it mirror the market? The answer, which, the, which Harry Markopoulos, the whistleblower, figured out in under two hours, was 5%. It would have been 95, and it was 5%. So you have to tell me, Tom, how the heck this thing couldn't have been uncovered. 
that's that's the the amazing part and of course the big question that most people have especially economic uh, uh, neophytes um, where's the money um, the the well, first of all there was obviously no money at the end there was he, he was showing that they had 65 billion two weeks before he went down there was uh, basically 200 million dollars left in the account so he was short 64 billion dollars and um, so did they get any money back? The answer is they were highly successful getting money back on a traditional Ponzi measurement basis, which was normally there's no money left. But they, 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 uh, the investment value of people who put money in was $19.5 billion, right? And that means some of it was 40 years before. They thought it was worth it. It had grown to $65 billion. The trustee for the liquidation has clawed back, meaning he got back $14 billion. Where did he get that money? Okay, the FDIC, which you've heard of, is where your money is in the bank. If it goes belly up or bankrupt or fraud, they give you your FDI insurance. It's never failed since the New Deal. The equivalent on the broker side is something called SIPIC, the Securities Investor Protection Corporation, and they had only $1.6 billion totally in that fund for all brokerage companies and the brokerage companies were paying, get this, $150 a year total premium, meaning less than they were paying for flowers in their executive suites every week. So there was really no money there. They went after, and again, this is sort of untold, made-off victims that had taken more money out over the years than they deposited, even though they were wiped out at the end. And that money was clawed back and given to made-off investors who had left more money in than they taken out. That guy I told you who uh, stole seven billion of the fourteen billion, seven billion came only from him, and Madoff helped him get it back. Okay, and the trustee running this has made two billion dollars in fees off of this fourteen percent of the of the of the uh, take. So, unbelievably to me, the uh, the Madoff investors were paid back by other investors, and the CIPIC the FDIC equipment sidestepped their obligations, said we don't cover Ponzi schemes. Do the investors ever know? I mean, before it blows yes. up, do they know yes. what they're doing? Well, first off, the feeder funds, these are the guys that sent Bernie the money, right? Yeah. And their job, their job is to take Tom Summers' money, do due diligence, look across a whole bunch of, of um, funds, and say, you know, Tom wants this kind of thing. He's very conservative, so we're going to put him with this fund. And so you're with the appropriate fund. They've earned their fee. The manager, in this case, which was Bernie, is entitled normally to 2% of the assets and 20% of the gains, and the feeder fund that sent him the money gets another percent for finding him and delivering the money. What did Bernie do? He passed the entire 2% and 20% back to the hedge fund, feeder funds, which meant they were being bribed essentially huge amounts of money not to ask questions. And guess what? They didn't ask any questions. <laughs> and not only, not only did they not ask any questions, the biggest one, which was called Fairfield Greenwich in the, in the U.S., Bernie scripted their answers to the regulators. So they can't claim that they didn't know something was wrong. Now, they didn't know it was a Ponzi scheme because they wouldn't have had that left their money there. But... Um, they had to have been willfully blind, is a nice way of saying it. And by the way, being willfully blind is illegal, criminally, criminal violation, and no feeder fund 
has ever manager has ever been put in jail from this. But have there been lessons learned? Uh, there have been lessons learned in the sense that um, the SEC, which I just told you was oblivious to how to solve Ponzi schemes, is now fairly good, um, I'm told, at detecting Ponzi schemes. Uh, on lessons learned, at the end of my book, I have 30 reforms that I suggest. But I start with, um, you're the individual investor. Don't think that the SEC is going to protect you up front. Don't think SIPC is necessarily going to be able to pay you back. I hate to say this, but don't put your trust in the government 100%. The second thing is, do not invest in anything you do not understand. No, I couldn't find any in, um, of, the, of his investors that I spoke to, his victims, and a lot of people, even on the legitimate part of his business, who understood what he was doing. It was opaque. It was complex. He completely shrouded it, even though... I can explain it to you like I did before. It's nothing complex at all underneath the hood. It's just designed to mirror the market, which meant it never could have done what he said it could have done. So a lot of people were investing with Madoff. The innocent people were saying he's, he's the most trustworthy guy. He's called We call him the Jewish T-bill. He's as good as the government um, obligations. He knows what he's doing. He's always going to – he's returning stuff every month. Bingo. Others said you can't be doing what he's doing. Um, but he's our crook. I'm going to look the other way. I don't even want to know what he's doing. I think it's front-running. But guess what? I'm making money every month. I'm not going to ask any questions. So there was a lot of both of that. None of them uh, knew at the bottom that it was just an out-and-out Ponzi scheme. So the lessons learned is when your dentist tells you, or in this case it was an 85% Jewish affinity um, network, including the charities, when they say this guy's good, that's not enough. When you don't understand what he's telling you, that's not enough. When he tells you, as he did, Tom, you're going to make 15% this year. He tells you that on January 1st. You get to December 31st, and what did you make? 15%. Now, any investment that's facing the market risk, in other words, not a savings account or something, is you cannot guarantee their return up front. So I call it a Hippocratic oath for in, in individual investors. The way to get rich is the way Warren Buffett is, which is invest regularly in a low-cost index fund that mirrors the market. The market's gone up 9% average for 100 years, and Bernie was paying 11% in his last few years. I say, take the 9% and sleep at night. <laughs> In your own bed. <laughs> in your, yeah, definitely. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I meant as opposed to jail. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, good point. That went over my head, Tom. That's a very good point. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. I just I couldn't resist. Um, but, uh, well, let's... Um, let's, let's take it a step further. What are the chances that... Uh, um, Wall Street and and various uh, actors and agencies will uh, heed your advice. Um, very little. <laughs> oh, well, uh, <laughs> I suggest some. First of all, I always I say in the book that if Wall Street doesn't learn its lessons, it's destined to repeat its mistakes. And they and to be honest, that's what's happening. I'll give you an example right now. I don't know if you've heard of Robin Hood. It's oh, yeah. a really hot. It's a really hot new. Um, a, a, you know, a trading firm that's telling its investors, we're democratizing it. We're bringing it to you, the investor in Flint, Michigan. And by the yeah, way, it's mostly we're not online, right? 
Exactly. It's totally online. And by the way, we're not even going to charge you commissions, Tom. This is a great deal. And you're going to sit in your basement and you're going to trade for free every day. Well, first off, that never works. Even if what they were saying was true, it never works. You try and trade your way into the, into the market as a casino. You're going, to end, you're going to make some money. You're going to think you're smart. Then you're going to go on margin. Then you're going to buy options, and then you're going to lose all your money. But here's what's also going on with Robin Hood. Why, do, why are they able to give you free commissions? You know why? Because they're getting payment for order flow. What is that? The firm they're clearing with, which would have been Bernie's firm as one of them before, they're paying part of um, the uh, commission back to the feeder for sending them volume. In other words, the money that Bernie would have pocketed, he gives a small piece right back for, get, for them directing their trades there. Okay, That's in conflict with their customers' best interest because what their customers want the best price possible. Well, what's happening is Robinhood's been so successful because they have actually cost their customers, when the, during the, when the SEC investigated them, $34 million more than if they'd paid commissions at a firm down the street. Well, how is that, you say? Because they've got inferior, not as good prices buying and selling because part of that uh, opportunity to get a good price they're putting in their pocket is a rebate on that fee. So Robinhood is first off teaching investors just to trade, which is not how you get rich. Just told how you get rich is regularly investing conservatively in index funds. And then they're telling their customers, you're getting a great deal because we're not even charging you commissions. But instead, they're taking it out of their pocket by giving them worse prices when they buy and sell their securities. So then there's an example. And Wall Street knows that. Robinhood knew they were doing that. They knew they were screwing their customers. And um, the SEC did catch them and sanctioned them. As you know, it's just a fine. They don't have to admit anything. And I just checked yesterday. They reported a huge quarter of payment for order flow revenues. Now, hopefully... They're no longer ripping their customers off in that, in that rebate, if they're being honest at least. Bernie invented almost payment for order flow and never ripped his clients off with it. He paid the rebate back, rebate back but he did not. Um, he, he gave his customers best price execution first. Well, this is fascinating. Uh, my guest is Jim Campbell. He is the... Uh host of the nationally syndicated radio show Business Talk with Jim Campbell, and he's literally written the book on Bernie Madoff. It's called uh, Madoff Talks. And, Jim, uh, we're, we're just about out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yes. Uh, first off, Madoff Talks, the untold story behind the most notorious Ponzi scheme in history. It's from McGraw Hill. It's available in all the places you would think, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. If you buy the book today or in the next few days, you're going to have to go to Barnes & Noble or Walmart online because Amazon ran out of books after two days, and we're going to be getting new books in there. They'll be getting them within a few days, probably May 14th or later. Um, my website, and, and you'll really like it, I think, is Madoff Talks Book. Dot com and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you'll, you'll you'll find it's got all the information, all the the interviews we've been including the CBS CBS Sunday Morning interviewed me for two hours and what aired is uh, is a five minute five minutes but they have six million viewers and within four hours after the show ended we went from forty eight hundred on Amazon because we weren't out yet. 
to number 46 on Amazon. So it's, <laughs> it's, they have a lot of power, and it's a good feature. Fortune Magazine did a great review on us. The New York Post did a full two-page spread on what I wrote when Bernie died. You'll get the chance to see all of that. You can buy the book, which we'd be very honored. It's a, it, Even on Amazon, you can get Kindle right now. And by the way, uh, uh, it's against our interest, but it's really, they discounted it a lot because they feel bad. They have no books, and they still want to make money. <laughs> but, you know, Tom, it, it's a great honor to be on your show and, and tell the folks out there, um, they, the book reads like a detective story. It's not a boring business book. And it goes through all the forensics of how it was uncovered, what he was doing. And then it gives you that advice at the end on really what you should do to make sure you don't get ripped off and have a chance of, of making money uh, for the money that you set aside, obviously, for your retirement. Well, Jim, it, it's an honor and a privilege to talk with you, and I hope we get a chance to do it again. Thank you, sir. I'll be back anytime you ask. Take care. Have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. Once again, that was... Uh, Jim Campbell, um, he is the host of the nationally syndicated radio show Business Talk with Jim Campbell. He also hosts a uh, crime show called Forensic Talk with Jim Campbell. And uh, his new book is Madoff Talks. So, uh, with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight <music> comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better. <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health 
including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. We're up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. 
all the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, George Parr, uh, you are in an investment banker. I am, yes. Yes. And uh, as such, you have your fingers right on the pulse of the financial market. Yeah, very much so, yes. And uh, during the summer, there's been uh, a great deal of turbulence and volatility, volatility, volatility in, in the, the market. Yes, yes. tremendous. Yes, tremendous. Yes. yes. And uh, what has caused that? Well, uh, you have to remember two things about the market. One is that they are made up of very sharp and sophisticated people mm. who uh, um, these are the greatest brains in the world. And the second thing you have to remember is that the financial markets, uh, to use the common phrase, are driven by sentiment. Uh, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, uh, things, let's say, are just going along as normal in the market. And then, suddenly, out of the blue, one of these very sharp and sophisticated people says, My God, something awful's going to happen! Uh, we, we lost everything! Oh, my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, uh, shall I jump out of the window? Shall I jump out of the window? Exactly. Let's all jump out of the window. We, oh, we, sell! We've lost a sell! 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 Yes, precisely. Yes, precisely. <laughs> and then, a few days later, this same uh, sophisticated person says, You know, I think things are going rather well. And everybody says, I, I agree with you. I think we're rich. We're rich. Yeah. We're rich. Bye-bye-bye. Yes. Bye-bye-bye. Yes. Yes. And that, that is, that's what we call market sentiment. Uh, but, uh, well, yes, uh, surely we are exaggerating just a bit, are Well, we? I, I don't know. I mean, in August, in the middle of August this year, when the market absolutely plunged in, in London, the, uh, a well-known city firm, uh, State Street Global Markets, mm-hmm. uh, issued a statement in which it said, and I quote, Market participants don't know whether to buy on the rumour and sell on the news. Do the opposite, do both, or do neither, depending on which way the wind is blowing, unquote. (laughs) Yes, and this is the kind of rigorous analysis Analysis, that companies (laughs) will pay huge salaries for. Yes, exactly. And a a few days later, when the markets have gone up a little bit, the senior equities advisor on ABM, Ambrose Morgan, said, and I quote, we're back to happy days again. <laughs> well, no price is too high for that, uh, no. for that kind uh, of and mature wisdom. Certainly. Is it? <laughs> this sort of people are, are paid millions of pounds in bonuses. Yes, of course. Uh, during this summer, there have been actual causes behind the volatility in the markets, yes, haven't there? I yes. mean, specifically and especially in America, uh, granting vast numbers of mortgages uh, to people who can't afford them yes. on properties which are diminishing in value. Yes, it's the so-called subprime uh, situation, yes, the subprime, subprime market. Yes, how, how does that work, in fact? Well, imagine, uh, if you can, uh, say, <coughs> an unemployed black man sitting on a crumbling porch somewhere in Alabama in his string vest, and mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a chap comes along and said, would you like to buy this house before it falls down, and um, why do you let me lend you the money? And is this chap who says this, is he a banker? Oh, no, no, no. He's a mortgage salesman. He's depend- his income depends entirely on the number of mortgages that he can arrange. 
So his judgment to arrange mortgages is completely objective? Completely objective, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, and what happens next? Well, then this debt, this mortgage, is, is, is debt, is, 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 is taken, uh, bought by a bank and packaged together mm -hmm. uh, on Wall Street with a lot of other uh, similar debts. Without going into much detail about what is actually... Without going into any detail. No, it's far too boring. <laughs> and so this is, this is put into a package of debt. And so, and then it's moved on to Wall Street. And this, this is it's extraordinary what happens then, that mm -hmm. somehow this package of dodgy debts stops being a package of dodgy debts and starts being what we call a structured investment vehicle. <laughs> and... Uh, SIV? And SIV, exactly, yes. Yes, I see. And then someone like you comes along and, 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 and buys it. I, I buy it, yes. And, and yes. then I will ring up, I don't know, somebody in Tokyo and say, look, I've got this package, do you want to buy it? Mm -hmm. And they say, what's in it? And I say, I haven't got the faintest idea. <laughs> and they say, how much do you want for it? And I say, a hundred million dollars. And then, then they say, fine, that's it. And that's the, that's the market. <laughs> and presumably, this package, I mean, that kind of thing can happen several times oh, to the could, same yes, could, uh, package. Possibly, yes. and, uh, and every time it does, of course, um, then you, or someone like you, will get a fee and a markup. And, and a profit, and, yes. And, yes. And, yes. And, and well, so if I expect us to do it for nothing, it's hard work, but In view of the fact that, that in these packages is a lot of dodgy debt, mm. What is it about it that attracts the, the financial, investor. you know, risk takers? Yes, well, because um, these, these hedge funds, as they're called, which specialize in these debts, um, they all have very good names. You mean they're responsible <laughs> companies? No, no, I don't know. It's nothing to do with their reputation. They have actually very, very good names. They're, the names they think up of them are very good. I'll give you an example. <laughs> there, there, there's a, a very well-known American Wall Street firm called Bear Stearns mm -hmm. who have two of these hedge funds which specialize in these, these mortgage debts. And uh, they lost so much money, well, lost so much of its value, that Bear Stearns announced that they would have to put in $3.2 billion dollars into one of the funds to try and keep it afloat. $3.2 billion? $3.2 billion, yes, yes. And even then they said the investors couldn't get any money out of it and they were going to let the other fund go. But one of these funds was called the High Grade Structured Credit Strategies Fund and the other was called the High Grade Structured Credit Enhanced Leverage Fund. <laughs> Well, that sounds very good. But that's it? good, isn't it? This is the, the magic of the market. What started off as lending a few thousand dollars to an unemployed black man in a string vest has become a high-grade structured credit enhanced leverage fund. <laughs> I like the sound of it. It, it is good. Well, it sounds very trustworthy. I mean, it's got good words in it. It's got yes. words like high. High is good. High is good. <laughs> yes. Better than low, anyway, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and structured is another good word. Very good. Enhanced. Is I love Enhanced. Enhanced is very good. I mean, I'd buy anything if it said enhanced. Absolutely. Yes. yes. It might have been different if it said the unemployed black man in the string vest fund, but... but, but <laughs> yes, because then uh, alarm bells might start <laughs> to, to ring. But uh, despite these very plausible names, surely the reality is that the people that lent all this money have been incredibly stupid. Oh, no, no, no. The reality is that what was stupid is that at some point somebody asked how much money these houses were actually worth. 
I mean, if they hadn't bothered to ask that question, then everything would have gone on as perfectly normal. But but unfortunately, they did. I see, but now, you see, people are saying the crisis is likely to turn into a financial meltdown. I mean, can that be avoided? It can be avoided, provided uh, that governments and central banks give us, the financial speculators, back the money that we've lost. But isn't that rewarding greed and stupidity? No, no. It's rewarding what the Prime Minister Gordon Brown called the ingenuity of the markets. That is the... <laughs> you see, and, and, and we, don't want, we don't want this money to spend on ourselves. We want this money just to go into the market so that we can carry on borrowing and lending money as if nothing had happened without thinking too much about it. <laughs> yes, but if the worst came to the worst and you didn't get this money, what then? Well, then there'd be another market crash, and then I would say to you what people like me always say, that it's not us that will suffer, it's your pension fund. Thank you very much, George Parr. My pleasure. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner programme. set up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to all my guests. Interesting conversations today to be sure uh, beginning with uh, this last hour with Jim Campbell uh, radio host and author of Madoff Talks and uh, before that we uh, spent some time with Larry Ty, uh, New York Times best-selling author and um, talking about his book uh, Demagogue the Life and Long Shadow of Senator Joe McCarthy. We started out this morning with uh, Hannah Shank, one of the co-authors of a book endorsed by uh, President, former President Obama called Power to the Public that, uh, well, it illustrates how nonprofits and governments uh, can use technology to solve some of the most pressing issues of our time. Anyway, great show in store, and uh, tomorrow we have another uh, another great store. Uh, another great show tomorrow with uh, who all do we have? Bill Oxford uh, from uh, the American Legion. We're going to talk about uh, the book Proof of Life with. Um, let's see, who do we have? Daniel Levin will be joining us, and lots more. That's Smoke and George. Time for me to head down the hall to the living room. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. 
Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.